Well, it's good to be with you as <clears throat> Father Gerard said. My name is Father Josh Waltz. I'm a pastor of uh, St. Joseph's Church in Mandan. And uh, I have uh, kind of an affinity to this parish. So my mom was a teacher here many, many years ago <clears throat> until my brother was born and then she quit and stayed home with him and then soon me. But when I was at college <clears throat> at NDSU, my last year that I was there, I had pretty much everything set up. Uh, I had a great job lined up. Uh, I was dating a beautiful young woman. That might be hard to believe. But, uh, <clears throat> and we were thinking about getting married. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just I had good grades. I, had, I spent a good four years and I was miserable. I was just miserable. I, I always told my high school kids when I taught them, I said, well, when I tell them this story, I said, I woke up one morning after a gathering. It was a large college gathering. <laughs> big tubs of liquid that people could drink out of. But I woke up that morning, I was laying in my bed right over on University Avenue. I lived with three other guys. And I just was like, is this it? Like, isn't there more to life than this? Like, am I just... What, I graduate now, now I go and make a bunch of money and try to have as much fun as I can before I die? There's got to be more. And so, <clears throat> I did what any young Catholic moron college kid would do. I went to confession. <laughs> Actually, that's not what they would do. <clears throat> but I went to confession. I went over to the cathedral and uh, I went to Father Peter Hughes. If you remember him, God rest his soul. Uh, wonderful priest, may have saved my life. But I went to him, I went to, had a great confession, and uh, I got done, and he looked at me, and in his Irish accent, he said, uh, I was getting ready to leave, and he's like, what, do you, what are you going to do for Lent? And I'm like, give up chocolate. <laughs> like, I didn't even know Lent was coming at that point. So he kind of caught me off guard, and he's like, how about, how about, you go to Mass every single day for all of Lent. And I looked at him just like confused. And I was like, did they have Mass every day? <laughs> and he's like, yes, they have Mass every day. He says, 7 a.m. here at the cathedral, you come every day. I'm like, oh, I got class at 7.30, Father. I can't come. Sorry. I really wanted to do it, but I can't. And he's like, no worries. He's like, 6.45 at St. Anthony. And I'm like. <laughs> so I did it. I went. Every morning, I went to Mass. And what happened was, is what happened to the lady in the gospel. I was lost. And then I encountered him, and I got into dialogue with him. <clears throat> And he started to offer me something that the world couldn't offer me. Because no matter what the world gave me, I kept saying, isn't there more? And then when I began to get in conversation with him, I realized he was the more that my heart was looking for. You know, I don't know if you know this, but what we heard today, you can probably guess it for how long you stood for the gospel. It is the longest sustained dialogue in the New Testament of Jesus with another person. So if John the Apostle and Evangelist thought it was that important 
to give an entire chapter of his gospel to. There's probably something really important in there for all of us. That this isn't just some random encounter that Jesus had with this random woman that he told, you know, had a bunch of husbands and then she told everybody he was God. There's got to be something deeper. It's a, it's a weird story for a lot of reasons. A few reasons. Number one, right? Samaritans and Jews never spoke. That's why she even says, she's like, why are you talking to me? Number two, rabbis and women never spoke. Again, probably why she's saying, why are you talking to me? Third, why is Jesus even in Samaria? He's not supposed to be there. Fourth, she's had five husbands. Very uncommon for the time. It's a lot of weird stuff. Fifth, she's at the well at noon. Nobody goes at noon. It's too hot. They go early in the morning. Probably so it's cooler and they can gossip and catch up on all the town news. So there's a lot of reasons. But I want to focus on just a couple that I think get to the heart of what's going on. The first isn't even in the gospel. I don't know why they don't put it in. It's the line right before what we heard. I mean, they already have like 80 lines. Just put one more in there. And it's important. It says this. It said, he had to pass through Samaria. You guys don't look shocked. He had to pass through. Nobody has to pass through Samaria as a Jew. In fact, they went out of their way to go around it. That's how much they hated these people. They would add two days to their trip just not to put a sandal on their land. And yet the gospel says he had to go there. You know why I think that John put that little detail in there? I think it's because he had to go to Samaria because he had to meet that woman at that time for a specific reason that was going to teach humanity forever. That's why I think John put that little tiny detail in there. And I love how Jesus moves her from bodily thirst into eternal thirst because that's all of us. All of us have you know, he's basically saying when he says, whoever drinks from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. What's he saying? The world can't satisfy you. I know all of you do it. I do it too. We go to the things of the world to get satisfaction. Charles Spurgeon, he's a Protestant preacher. Listen to this. I found this a couple years ago. He wrote this. Men are in a restless pursuit after satisfaction in earthly things. They will exhaust themselves in the deceitful delights of sin and finding them all to be vanity and emptiness, they will become perplexed and disappointed. But they'll continue their fruitless search. Though wearied, they still stagger under the influence of madness. And though there is no result to be reached except everlasting disappointment, they press forward. They have no forethought of their eternal salvation. The present state absorbs them. They turn to another and another of earth's broken cisterns, hoping to find water where never a drop was to be found. I'm going to modernize that for you, okay? You know who Jeff Bezos is? Head nods, come on. I know it's late. Just a little participation from the crowd. We know who Jeff Bezos is. Getting the odd chance that you don't know who Jeff Bezos is, he's a close, close to a trillionaire. He owns Amazon. Exactly. He said, I like that participation. I like that. 
get into it. So he writes a letter every year to his shareholders. Two years ago, somebody sent me his letter. One line has never left me, and it's this. He said, never forget, Amazon thrives on the dissatisfaction of its customers. Say that again. Never forget, Amazon thrives on the dissatisfaction of its customers. What does he mean? I don't even know if Jeff Bezos is a Christian. But he's saying the same thing Jesus is saying. Worldly things can't, they can't fulfill us. So what's Bezos' dream, his idea of Amazon? Give us as much as we can, as fast as we can. And it worked. Because I bet there's a whole boatload of you here that have Amazon Prime. I do. Sometimes I order a package, my staff gets all upset at me because it'll come and I'm like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> That's the genius of Amazon. Because it's feeding the... We have an infinite hole inside of us and we try to fill it with finite things. It'll never be filled. Bezos knows that. And that's why Amazon keeps making billions and billions and billions of dollars. Why do you think there's an iPhone 13? Because the other 12 weren't good enough. And there's going to be a 14 and a 15. And then they'll come up with some weird number or letter or something. The woman spends time in conversation with Jesus. And through that, she begins to come alive. Something wakes up in her. Just like something woke up in me. But there's something else that the woman has to do. She has to make a change. She has to make a change. I think it was John Paul II. I don't know if it was or not. But whenever I don't know a really good quote, I just attribute it to John Paul II. Because he had awesome quotes. He said this. We're not afraid of our weaknesses. What we're afraid of is greatness. Because greatness demands sacrifice. I don't know if you know that story from 2 Corinthians when St. Paul, he's talking about all of his sufferings. And he's like, you know, I was beaten with rods. I was scourged. I was stoned. I was shipwrecked. My life sucks. You know, I, I mean, he just goes on and on and on. The best part is at the end, after all of these sufferings, he says, and on top of all of this, I have to deal with all of you. <laughs> like the churches are the biggest problem of being scourged and stoned. But I was reading that on retreat one time. And I, I was like, I looked at the tabernacle and I'm like, Jesus, what if I did that? Like, what if I was like St. Paul? I was that intense and radical. And he said back to me so quickly, not audibly, but those of you that pray, you know what he sounds like. He said to me, you can. You know what I did? I closed my Bible, I put it down, and I left the church. I was so freaked out because all I could think of was the sacrifices that I'd have to. And then as I'm walking outside thinking about what God just said to me, what I asked for and what God just said to me. So I'm like sitting there, I'm like, okay, so what if I'm like the whiskey drinking St. Paul? That would be new, right? We haven't had one of those yet. Or the cigar smoking St. Paul. The idea of doing what he did was so radical. I had the desire for it but not the strength. And here's the thing, you guys, never forget this. St. Therese of Lisieux, one of my favorite quotes, she said, when God reaches out his hand asking for something, his hand is never empty. 
What does that mean? He might be asking you to sacrifice something, but he wants to give you something too. Look what he did for the woman. And you know how we know she made the change? There's another little detail. It says she left her jar at the well. And she took off to tell everybody. I don't know if you've ever seen The, the Chosen. It's a, if you haven't, you've got to download it. It's a free app, streaming. It's the story of Jesus. Awesome. Get it. If you haven't, you're a loser. Bad Catholic. <clears throat> but in there, there's the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus is talking to her. And at one point, she's so excited because of what's happening. And somebody not judging her and loving her and calling her to greatness. And she's like, I'm going to tell everybody. And he looks at her and he's like, I'm counting on it. Right? I want you to go tell everybody. And he looks at all of us. And when you encounter the Lord, you want to go tell everybody. And he looks at you and he says, I'm counting on it. Because nobody's talking about him now. Nobody's evangelizing. Our job, our call, is to get in relationship with the Lord. And from that, to make the changes of our lives that we need to make. The woman of the gospel did it. The question is, will you?